Friends, welcome back to Operation Opera. Elisa and I had a wonderful chat with soprano Amanda Neal about improvisational opera, among other things. Enjoy. Amanda, thank you so much for being here and for chatting with us. And uh, Elisa was telling me how you guys met, and I want her to recap that because I think it's awesome. Mm Well, it's just, it's, it's very random. So it was through Amy Ware, right? Who's my Facebook friend because she's the most awesome flight attendant on the planet. And she's your aunt, right? Amanda, yep, is that right? that's right. She's my aunt. <laughs> yep. Amy Coulter Ware. And um, so anyway, I put out, I was interviewing singers in the early summertime and uh and Amy forwarded my little plight on Facebook to Amanda and she responded and, and she was willing to be interviewed. And so then I got to, I started getting to know her and I thought, oh my goodness, she would make such a great podcast guest. Cause we were just kind of scratching the surface of so many things mm-hmm. that she's involved in that are really cool that more people <laughs> should know about. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I love, I love that there was a time when we met people on planes. I and- know. <laughs> <laughs> and we took planes places. And we took places. But what I love too is that I've actually had had experiences where I've met opera singers on planes, and I'm like, there's only like 20 of us in the world. Like, how did this even happen? <laughs> and that we happen to sit next to each other. Like, what did they know? Like, yeah, anyway, yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Amanda, tell us a little bit about you. I was looking at your bio, and it looks. I mean, it sounds really awesome. You you do you know teaching and singing and, and all kinds of cool experimental theater. And uh, yeah, so give us a little bit about you. Um, yeah, so I, I started singing and performing pretty young. Um, I started taking voice lessons when I was 10. Um, my teacher at the time in fifth grade, um, a nun, Sister Lainey Jo, she, her, her vocation was music. And I was you know, being a kid with ADD that as of that time was undiagnosed, um, I could not sit still through mass to like save my life. Um, And so I had to sit next to her and she would always make sure that I was singing whatever was on the program for the day in mass. At the end of the school year, she like sat my parents down and was like, hey, if you don't put this girl in voice lessons, then like, I'm going to fail my vocation of music. So... (laughs) So she helped my parents find me a voice teacher, um, a wonderful woman um, named Elaine Berman out in Sacramento, California, who became really one of my mentors. And she really like influenced a lot of my like style as far as like clothing and like decoration and stuff like that. Um, My sister started taking lessons shortly after I did. We kind of found that we had that fun special thing that some siblings have where your voice is just mesh together perfectly. Man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and it was so fun. A computer science guy, so it was, you know, it's not quite the same thing. But I've always been jealous of that. I think, Elisa, you probably share a similar thing as Amanda, too, right? With these voice things. Definitely. The family harmonizing together. Yeah, so many long road trips um, <laughs> with everybody harmonizing together. Then let's see. I went to college in New Orleans at Loyola. 
Um, and I was studying down there with Drew Montague. He was really helped me to kind of decide like, Hey, do you want to actually do this for like your life? And I was like, yes, I'm so determined. Like I, I knew from the time I was maybe 12 or 13 that I wanted to sing opera and that I wanted to pursue it however I could. Um, there a so, moment for you? What was your moment? I feel like there's like a, a lot of moments, but I guess one of them was when I was like 12 or 13, um, but my sister and I and a handful of our friends from our children's choir were invited to be in um, Hansel and Gretel at Sacramento Opera. And that was my first time being in a fully staged opera with costumes and singing the choral parts and just watching the other singers on stage. I was just transfixed and mesmerized and I knew I wanted to be there forever. Like I wanted to never leave the stage and the backstage and rehearsal process and all that. Like I just wanted to be in it all the time. And I knew that when I was like 13. Another one was um, I did quite a few recitals um, when I was in high school. My voice teacher, Elaine, she had me sing at some like, I don't know, Sacramento arts, something or other in someone's like super fancy house with just like all this beautiful sculpture and painting and artwork everywhere. And there was like a, a string quartet and everyone was dressed super fancy. And I was just like blown away by how fun it was to like, be at these like artsy events. And so that's another thing that really cemented it in my mind. My husband always teases me. He's like, you're in it for the clothes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was a huge part when I was a teenager. Um, I was definitely, I was always like, yeah, this is great. Like I suck at math. So like, I'll just be a music major and I'll get to wear pretty clothes and get to wear like big ball gowns and fun like costumes all the time. That'll just be my life. Yeah, that was me when yes. I was five. When I was five, I was in ballet <laughs> only because I got to wear a green sequined outfit. Why that was actually a draw, I'm not sure. But <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah. Were you a mermaid? Yeah, I don't know. But once I realized <laughs> that I didn't actually have to be in ballet to get the outfit, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, so cute. <laughs> I was in a production of um, Porgy and Bess, which was really awesome. Um, I got to be in, you know, see what it was like to be a, a pro a little bit, right? Like in the chorus. Um, and then after that, I, I moved up to Chicago because I got into the um, Chicago College of Performing Arts at Roosevelt University. Um, so I, I did grad school for two years, um, which was where I met some of my very best friends and favorite collaborators. Um, as well as um, another mentor of mine. Um, actually, Rachel, you share a last name with her. Um, her name is Susan Payne, uh, Susan Payne O'Brien, actually. And she was um, directing a couple of operas and opera scenes that we were working on. And she, um, she really was the person who kind of showed me what improv was. And um, she would have us do all these like really you know, improv games, but apply them to our arias or the scenes or whatever we were working on. And it was like, for the first time, I finally felt like 
free on stage with like my body <laughs> because um, kind of in undergrad and in a lot of grad school, um, I was always my, my critique in like performance classes and things were always, well, you're always like moving too much and you're kind of dancing while you're, <laughs> while you're singing and you need to not do that. You have to like put your hands on the seam of your pants or your skirt and just like not move. And it was really hard for me. And I don't know if that's because I have, you know, ADT and I'm just kind of like a, a active and fluttery sort of person. But um, I really like didn't know what to do with that energy when I was, you know, performing art song or aria. And then my, um, and then Susan taught me how to kind of really, you know, make my subtext so specific and how to really the energy. use my body and use that energy in a way that was more, you know, conducive to a performance. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, something as uh, I'm also a fellow ADD opera singer. <laughs> Yay. Um, I feel like there's a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, I, there are many, many performers, I think, who are ADD because it, it just fits our type, right? You mm-hmm. kind of think out of the box you having lots of ideas and uh, great creative. very creative yeah yeah right like we have a lot of creative energy and just energy in general and I had a similar comment actually in college where I dealt with people like Rachel you just gotta hold still <laughs> I was like but that's boring you know right my teacher Drew would like hold my arms sometimes <laughs> <laughs> like you stop swaying around <laughs> part of the emotion I mean isn't that part of the experience of you know what it is to feel music definitely I definitely think so I think I mean I know Drew had good good intentions with that with trying to help me kind of feel more grounded I was always really off my breath in undergrad and like having a lot of trouble really connecting so I think maybe he thought that my movement was kind of um, part of it or a symptom of it. Um, but turned out I was just a little baby soprano who (laughs) hadn't figured things out yet. (laughs) I started college when I was 17. Um, you know, started grad school when I was 21. So I was always a little just younger than everybody else. And, um, and with ADD too, just being a little bit, not as, not as focused, not as, um, like ready to stand still and sing an aria, which now I can totally do. So. <laughs> yeah. Cause you learned how to channel your energy into the right mm-hmm. places. Yeah. To be, yeah. Kind of more, mm, what's a good word for that? Focused. Yeah, Harnessing and... the lightning, right? What yeah. If you can harness the lightning, then. Yeah. I like that. No mm-hmm. one gets hurt. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Susan, actually, she started this group called Forte, uh, Forte Chicago, which is where we started to combine opera and improv together. Um, started with just like making weird, fun soundscapes and trying to, you know, learning how to tell stories. Um, so we did like a lot of storytelling workshops. That's um, so cool. Can we you uh-huh. a little bit more like when yeah. you do sure. soundscape, what does that mean? Yeah, Ooh, so weird, soundscape. Fun soundscape. Ooh, yeah. a weird fun soundscape is really just starting with any sounds like if it's 
you know, and we would kind of combine percussive things as well as vocal sounds. Um, but a lot of times we, uh, when we were starting, it would kind of start with like a wind sound, you know, like a with your like whistling off off pitch and then adding in like little snapping or clapping. I'm sure you've seen some like choral works that ha incorporate some of that, like yes. snap, 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 clap, clap, clap. Um, and then we would just do just make whatever sounds we felt like fit whatever prompt she gave us. So, you know, if it was like alone, we'd be like, Ooh, and then just build that. Um, and it was a group of between like six to eight of us. So we would just kind of like build things up, add it in. Someone would find a melody. We would find a harmony off of that melody. We would build it take it back just uh it's it's kind of hard to explain it completely with just words but um it was really just an exercise in creating feelings and sounds and environments with our sounds yeah cool so and collaborating on that yes improvising and collaborating cool is it sort of like performance art oh definitely it's very performance arty okay okay <laughs> And, but if it's with improv and mm -hmm. you're doing that, would you say it lane, leaned more to the serious than the comical? Actually, it would kind of go 50-50. It would depend on how we were feeling that day or what was in the news or um, what, you know, really what, like what the prompt was. Um, we also, we do a lot of um, politically informed and socially informed work. Um, like one of our one of the operas that we collaborated and wrote together um was about immigration um more recently we did a um, a collaborative process where we guided by um guided by a therapist we explored concepts of um anger and then we combined that with a grim fairy tale um, and we created a work called um, A Distant Flight of Birds out of that, where we all just kind of, we journaled a lot about you know, our relationships with family and with anger and our emotions. And we synthesized it into this 15 minute long show about how, you know, kind of like a, a hero's journey along with like finding, reckoning with like trauma really intense so that was super intense but the show about um immigration is called the sausage show and um it was based on these two actual sausage or i guess hot dog stands here in chicago that are right next to each other and on their websites they have these wild stories of how how they came to be and like a rivalry and being across the street from each other in the maxwell district and all this and we just thought that was such a weird and funny story that we thought it was very operatic. So we totally ran with that and had, you know, you cannot eat sausage. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite parts from it that it's like always stays stuck in my head is, is this whole part where we're just like, um, 
take a bite, take a bite, take a bite. Like, it's just like, and, and we, we kind of incorporated lots of, we, we like to incorporate different types of music. Um, another really important thing with Forte is that we each have a character. We each have a diva who is a character that we've developed over the years. Um, so my character's name is Noelle Obama and she is the eldest and hidden daughter of the Obama family, um, <laughs> she, which came about because people think my dad looks like Barack, which is, I, I kind of see it, but I also like, I don't. Um, yeah, of course, right? Of like, course. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but besides that, um, so Noelle Obama is a, a girl who wants to be a rapper, but every time she raps, it comes out as opera recitative. <laughs> yes, she can't great. help it. <laughs> as her, I guess. Well, what was what happened on, on the sausage one? Like, was was there any of of Noelle that came out during that show that was particularly memorable? Yeah, so um, a little bit. With that show, we were all actually playing the same character and kind oh, okay. of switching in and out of that, um, which was a really fun kind of little way to do it. I've never done a show like that, but we each played the same guy, um, and my song in the show was called um, I'm Going to America, and it's kind of like a little synthy 80s <laughs> vibe and um like oh super close so it's like um i'm going to america america i'm going to america and then so she throws in a lot of like r&b kind of vibes um my favorite part of that song is she goes i'm like an eagle flying high <laughs> like just <laughs> trying to use like all the imagery of USA. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can kind of think of. But um, I guess if you want a little, a little uh, Noel Obama rap, rap song, rap recit. Um, <laughs> Just an excerpt would be great. Let's see. <clears throat> the principal's my number one hater. I'm like, bitch, see you later. Cause I got sick flow and everybody knows I treat my enemies like Vader. <laughs> yes. That was excellent. Yes. My life is complete. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, she, I don't know. I, I like her. She, um, I would say that she was like the Cardi B or like Nicki Minaj of opera. And she always wears jumpsuits. And she likes to twerk while she's singing. Oh my goodness. I love this. I love this mashup. <laughs> I, it's interesting to take this idea of improvisation and mm -hmm. combine it with giving you a true character, right? That's very SNL, right? That's something that, oh, yeah. you know, with long form improv you do. But to take that idea and put it with a musical element will give you so much more to play with. Mm -hmm. I imagine, right? Like just so it's many different so colors. Fun. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So um, after I started getting, um, doing Forte for a couple of years, um, I started getting into the like local improv scene, um, you know, people at Second City or IO or The Annoyance are kind of the three big places where people um, do improv. Um, <clears throat> and I learned about music improv, 
which is basically musical theater improvised. And I was like, oh, this is kind of what we're doing with, um, with Forte, but just, you know, not operatic singing. Um, and a friend of mine, like, begged me to go to this audition for this really awesome program here in Chicago called Mint, which is Music Improv Night. And she wanted me to be, like, moral support because she was like, I'm not a good singer, but, like, I need... I, you know, like, I want you to come with me so that we can audition together and like, cause we would sing together all the time at work and I think she's a great singer, but we, um, she was like, I need you to come with me. And so I got into one of the improv teams and ended up doing it, I think two or three seasons in a row. I took a break and I did another season of it. It's basically four months where you have a rehearsal and a performance every week and you get together and play, which I didn't know any of the improv games. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know the, <laughs> the culture at all. And I was there with all these folks who were, you know, taking all these classes at Second City and, you know, a couple people who were majoring in, in improv comedy and comedy writing at like local schools and colleges. And I was just like totally blown away by it. And it was so much fun. And it really helped me learn to not be so perfectionist about my performing. Mm. And it really, really helped me to just see that there's more, more going on, I guess. Um, and that, not, not that I didn't think there was anything besides opera, you know, but <laughs> it was just, it was a really fun space to learn and safely play and I think as adults, we don't play very much. And yeah. it, it really, um, really changed the way I think about just things and life in general. So this is so awesome. So I have so many questions for you, but I want to start <laughs> with, I love this. I love this not taking opera so seriously kind of thing. So my first question is, um, so as you were sort of becoming more entrepreneurial and and expanding your horizons uh, as, as it, you know, related to performance and, you know, not just trying to be in the one niche, but kind mm -hmm. of being open to these other things. Was there, a, was there a part of you at all, like the inner snob that was like, well, that's not legit or that's not opera or, you oh, know, this it, isn't, did <laughs> it that ever happen? Okay. Mm -hmm. There, I would have to like often, check myself, especially when I started doing like the more music improv stuff out in the world of just like, cause anyone could audition for this thing. And it wasn't necessarily like they were choosing people based off of voice. Um, so I would be, you know, finding myself in rehearsals, being critical of other people singing, mm. um, but they're completely untrained, you know, like they're just there to have fun and they're there to, be funny and you know and but my whole when I first started it was like well anything that comes out of my mouth has to just like sound perfect rhyme be beautiful and that finished was where product. I learned yes yes which improv is not a finished product impossible. it is yeah. impossible yeah <laughs> it's a completely effervescent completely in the moment thing and vulnerable so Yes, exactly. Super vulnerable and, and super dependent on your scene partners. Mm -hmm. And it was really, 
kind of an exercise in like letting go of control. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> as like, as a classically trained singer, you're, it's, you're literally being conducted usually, you know, yeah. and learning how to, you know, okay, I'm going to listen to this like couple of measures of piano that our accompanist is playing or our music director rather is playing and then I'm gonna come up with something off of that and off of the scene that we just had and that was it was at first it was super intimidating honestly terrifying and so hard like my coaches would always be like come on Amanda like you need to try to sing a song like we're gonna make you sing a song now make you improvise a song and um slowly but surely I got more and more confident at doing that and ended up just having so much fun <laughs> that's awesome I respect that so much I um there's another uh, conductor that we interviewed um we, I think we interviewed at least once um who talks about perfectionism being a means or a way to avoid meaning um mm -hmm. and so it's it's interesting I think we as classically trained musicians, we have a tendency to cling to um, those things that we can control. And, but it then it, it robs the art form of, you know, the, the humanity that is imperfect, you know, and the, that part of ourselves. I mean, it's just, and so in a way, it's really beautiful that you've found a way. I want to know more about this Susan Payne person and like how she oh, thought about love, like creating yeah, she's so therapy <laughs> out of opera and like how in the world she came up with that idea. And like, is this happening other places? Because you guys in, in Forte Chicago, you said you were like six to eight people, but I feel like there are thousands of people who could benefit, you know, people who are trained musicians, trained opera singers who could benefit from that type of exercise, you know, to be able to process emotion and think outside of the box and really make themselves vulnerable in these new ways that would actually in the end empower them, right. And make them less afraid. Um, because yeah. perfect, being, having perfection hanging over you all the time is horrifying and leads to burnout, you know, totally with, with too much, you know what I mean? Over time, you just can't sustain that. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's unsustainable. So yeah. talk about that. Talk about the therapy aspect. And oh, look, I listen to a lot of like <laughs> podcasts about therapy. Um, it truly took me years to actually get my own butt into therapy, um, which I'm so glad I did. And I love my therapist so much and it's been just truly life-changingly amazing. But, yes. um, for years I had had, um, some, uh, friends who were like, you should probably go to therapy. And I was like, I'm fine. I'm cool. I don't need it. Um, <laughs> and actually our, um, artistic director of Forte is, um, her name's Sarah Bendix. She is an amazing, amazing artist, um, a really great therapist. <laughs> and she actually is the one who got the, had the idea to, you know, combine this uh, therapeutic devising. Oh gosh, Sarah, I'm sorry. I'm like totally forgetting and messing up what oh, we all talked about. <laughs> but um, so she, you know, would have us sit down, have us like look at the stories that we were thinking about, um, you know, basing the show on. And then like, what does this make you feel? What is this? And, and we got super deep in those little, we had, we would have dinner and then read some stuff and then 
talk about it. And we had um, some other folks in the group. So it wasn't all singers. Um, we had some artists, we had some dancers. Like it was, it was a really cool diverse group of, um, of all women. And we just got really raw and emotional and kind of used it as like a low key, like group therapy <laughs> for that time. Um, and, you know, we kept coming to like all these um, kind of common themes of, you know, like how your family, how your upbringing, how, how you were nurtured, how that really affects the way that you move through the world. Um, and then, you know, applying that to other, you know, to opera, like thinking about these characters that, you know, we, we love or love to hate. Um, <laughs> and thinking about like, well, what, what really is driving Carmen? Like what's really going on with Liu? Like any of these characters who you know countess oh man i feel like i've spent a lot oh of time God. thinking about countess but um <laughs> countess for like hours the most, it's the most <laughs> simplified in some ways the most simplified score like she doesn't come she doesn't even show up until the second half right right but, like, she has a whole life like a yes. whole life that brings her to that moment yes actually we do um we do sularia uh but it's we call it the, the waxing bit and while they're doing Sularia, um, Susanna is giving the Countess a, uh, a Brazilian wax. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. So Does in it include addition, any Yelps? Yeah, that sounds lots like- of Yelps. Oh. Yeah. Lots of um, fake <laughs> hair being thrown. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, wow. But, so that's another aspect of Forte that I guess I haven't quite gotten to yet with y'all is that we also take arias um, or take other songs and kind of do, we do mashups, we do reimaginings, we do restagings. We, um, one of my favorite bits that we did was um, taking um, the the hall of the mountain king and combining that with um baby it's cold outside and turning it into this like really dark creepy oh dear um, like thing about consent oh, and wow. but it's um, fascinating too right because you can see sort of yeah. what comes out from there and like what like because consent is such it's such a charged idea right because it's like well what does that actually mean like what does that mean if you're 14 what does that mean? Right. You know, like, yeah. And so it's, it's, you do, you, when you, when you talk about something super heavy or when you dramatize something, this is partly what art is about, right? Is you take something Absolutely. that is kind of difficult to put into words. And so you make it into something else in order to yeah. be able to, um, to see it, to feel it, to touch it, to know that it has meaning or purpose and that you can work through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, another great thing that I, I've always appreciated about Forte and about my my friends and Susan and Sarah is that we we talk a lot about just kind of the, the stuff in the opera industry that kind of, you know, irritates us, pisses us off, um, seems unfair, um, you know, and whether that's um, body shaming or fat phobia or just, you know, 
misogyny um, or even like, you know, to get more serious, like abuse of, of young singers. Um, we, we really get into those subjects and we don't shy away from them. We, we spotlight them because, you know, there's this kind of idea that like, oh, opera, it's so spectacle. It's so fancy. It's so highbrow and, you know, only for the rich or whatever. And I we're, just think Mozart uh, would be on the floor with you. Right. Like, totally. Like, there is no question in my mind that he, he would, would love the waxing he, bit. Oh, yeah. he'd, he would adore it. I know. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's so tidy. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Because we love opera, but we also love, you know, I love rap music. I love, like, ska. I love punk music. Like, those are the, actually, those are the kind of, that's the kind of music that I sing in with my bands is, um, I mean, cover bands, and we do a lot of ska punk and um, pop punk covers where we take, like, you know, Beyonce and make it a punk song. Um, so, you know, being able to combine those things in one place and to combine stuff like, um, we, we all love the show Glow in Forte. So we did a, a whole bit about opera characters wrestling each other as if they were you know, professional wrestlers and like WWE or whatever. And we learned how to wrestle and did stage combat and like you know like pull each other's hair and threw each other across the stage and <laughs> jumped on each other from off of chairs and stuff and all while singing <laughs> wow it's, it's so interesting i think i feel like to, for the most part opera or yeah or classical singing in general is kept somewhat separate from theater yeah um, strangely right but I yeah. love this. I love this reinventing because so much of what of the problems we get into and not just in classical singing, actually, but also in pop singing is imitation. Right. And just trying mm -hmm. to sound like someone else, trying to uh, be acceptable by just doing what has yeah, been by done someone before. else's standards. Right. You know. Yeah. And this whole idea is just having to create something completely original that that can come from no other source than your own soul and your own being and that is terrifying and vulnerable but also the only thing that's fresh you know what i mean no one wants to see you get up and regurgitate someone else's version of something so i, mm -hmm. I think that's i think that's really wonderful i think there needs yeah. we need more of that and and that's really what started forte was just this desire to Cause we were just like, okay, cool. We just all did grad school for two years and we all just sang the same arias that like, like everybody's been before. singing for hundreds of years, you know, like canned, we're, you know, canned stuff. And, and then there's the kind of misconception about like new music where it's like, oh, it's weird or it's too hard or you know, whatever, which I love new music. I'm all about it. I'm working on some new stuff right now. That's going to be like amazing. But um, like, we just were like, what if we just made opera be about what we like, what we enjoy, what we nerd out over, you know, like we can do a Christmas show where we 
take music from the Nutcracker and use it to critique the like whole commercialism of Christmas and how you know weird <laughs> weird it is and funny mm. and cool it is. Yeah. That was one of our early shows. That's great. I love that. It's very stream of consciousness. It's like making yes. these connections. Yeah. Yeah, that and are, that's our process. It's yeah. very much let's sit in a room and just like do weird stuff and see what we think is funny or see what we think is moving or what what sticks. Now, did I understand this right? I thought I heard you say it's all women. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, it is all women. So, As of now, we're thinking about expanding. Okay. <laughs> And was part of that to make sure that you were creating a space that felt very safe so that you know, like a lot of these topics that you've talked about are, you know, challenging things that maybe, you know, would be influenced by having, having, by having another gender in the room. Yeah, actually, funny enough, just none of the dudes answered the email. It just happened that the group of us who responded we're all already friends and we're all women and it was just random kind of yeah and most of us actually had done um a production the year before together of Swarangelica which was like very it was kind of like I went to an all-girls high school I don't know if I mentioned that earlier but it was the first time since high school that I had done any sort of production that was all women and it really was like, I think that was also part of where the idea for Forte started to kind of come out where like, you know, our, just like the interactions and the, the uh, vulnerability of, of being in a room full of women was so wonderful. Also Forte also came from um, one of my classmates, um, Kristen, she, um, she did it as a part of our, one of our projects that we had, um, she was like, oh, we can combine offer an improv. And then we, she was also a founding member and we all just ran with it. It was really cool. Brilliant. It really yeah. is. I would love to see more of this happening. I, I like mean, I have- university should, should have a required course for opera singers that's offer improv. I think so. I, I mean, I'd, <laughs> I'd love that. I'd, and anybody out there, I'd love to teach it. Um, <laughs> Uh, we've we've been exploring the ideas of doing kind of like online workshops, um, especially now with COVID. Um, but recently, Susan moved out to the West Coast, and um, one of our um, founding members, another one of my classmates, um, is also already living out there. And so they were kind of half jokingly, but actually, I think we're going to make it happen once you know once COVID's over but um, doing kind of like a West Coast version um, as well as, um, you know, there's some of our friends are in New York who've like really enjoyed our shows. So we are kind of thinking about creating like chapters of Forte kind of similar to how, um, you know, Opera on Tap has, has different chapters in different cities. Um, we're kind of hoping to get that rolling. But of course, um, just as we were getting ready to start writing a new show and right. start acting on all these plans that we had, uh, a pandemic mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. It may be worthwhile during this time of sort of the waiting time to mm -hmm. develop a curriculum of like yeah. what, what that would look like in sort of a university setting. And the reason I suggested is just because, you know, 
we're still churning out tons of singers and mm -hmm. aren't churning out tons of artists. Right. And I think one of the ways to do that is, you know, in a university, in a college setting, to give them these tools to allow them to sort of explore ways of becoming artists and to give them that kind of liberty in order to um, make those kinds of unique choices. And it would also yeah. potentially be a feeder for those companies that you're starting up in these different sort of chapters. Um, Ooh, I love so, it, Rachel. So it's already something that, that people know about. Yeah, because um, so Susan was teaching a class at, um, at Roosevelt at CCPA that was basically like acting for singers or it's called something like that. I don't super remember, but um, it was the first time as a singer that I had taken an acting class. And I remember thinking at the time that it was really weird that you know, after a couple of weeks in this class, I was like, why didn't we have acting in my undergrad program? That's weird that you didn't. That is very bizarre. They but do I think they do now yeah. at my school. I think it's normal, Rachel, actually. Is it really? I mean, my experience with acting was being, working with a director in an opera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. That is insane. And so, in yeah, opera was... workshop, we did a few like little kind of exercises, you know, like right. where you are in a circle and you like have to like go around it. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Those little warm ups that they do. Yeah. Again. I think games, sure. But it yeah, was very was... limited, very limited. That was pretty much it for me too, Elisa. That it was just, you know, like, okay, yeah, we're doing our scenes program and like, you know, and of course, one of my first scenes I did was Solaria. And as Susanna and it's like okay now look look like you're thinking really hard and like giggle and like and I was like okay okay but, but I mean that's, that's not a character right exactly no. you know character. it's not so, so um, Susan's class was amazing just because it really opened I think a lot of us in the class we saw for kind of the first time like wow like we can just even speaking our lines of a, you know, an aria, we would take the aria and treat it like a monologue yes. and, or take the translation and, and do it as a monologue. Heck yes. It was just like, wow. And that was the first time anyone had told me to do that. And, you know, I'm like 21, 22 and I'm like, wait, like I could have already been doing this. <laughs> right? Useful tools that would have been helpful three years mm -hmm. ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yes, I, I make my students monologue all the time and they hate it because they don't even know where to begin. But, and mo most of the time when they bring their monologue, I'm like, take it out of the music, like write the words down separately. Mm -hmm. Because if you're reading it out of the score, you're going to still phrase it like you do when you yep. sing it. Right? And so it's like such a journey for them to just get to the point where they can say the words of their song in like, like a, like a person, like a human like, being, like you're with feelings. telling a story. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or like you're complaining or whatever, whatever the song calls Experiencing for. human emotions yes. and having, you know, having thoughts, having a new thought and then changing your, you know, what you're saying. And, mm -hmm. you know, this whole idea, they're just like, what? Like, oh, anyway, but it's because I they remember, just haven't had that experience. Yeah, I remember being bewildered by it when I first took Susan's class and just being like, 
No way. Because like in high school, I had done, I had done Shakespeare. I'd done monologues. I'd taken some acting classes here and there. So it wasn't like I didn't know about it, you know, right. I just hadn't connected it with singing. Which is so sad, right? I know. Yeah, it's super sad. But I think part of that's because we are sort of taught that the music is the thing. Right. And so you have to serve the music God first. And in some ways... And the instrument. end up... Yeah, and the instrument. And you end up uh, sacrificing story and communication because of it. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, to me, for whatever that's worth, um, <laughs> when, when you... When you have a character, the music flows more easily. Definitely. Because then you are not bogged down by, oh, I hope I sound okay on this note, because you are whoever she or he is. Mm-hmm. And whoever they are in that moment is what you will be. And if you have a solid technique, then you're going to be okay. It's interesting. I heard, I heard a monologue the other day in a class for, um, from Masterclass. And it's sort of the opening monologue of, um, you know, the greatest diva ever, Maria Callas. Mm-hmm. In it, she says, the music is God, the composer is God. You must, everything you do must be to serve the music. And I thought it was so fascinating. And I wondered, I'm like, did she actually say that? Because she is like the consummate performer. She's right. the one who would get up and, you know, apologize for her voice cracking because her character is dying in this moment. And mm-hmm. would sacrifice technique on the altar of character, like on the regular. So, but yet, if she says that, then what is it really about? You know, where is that line? Yeah. Well, she, I think she always put that first, but then the character was on top of it. So she, she, put, she laid the groundwork, right, for all of mm-hmm. everything to be stylistically immaculate. Um, and musically immaculate, and then within that framework, created her character. That's that's the way that I see it, at least. I remember mm-hmm. distinctly, actually, when this was several years ago, um, I was preparing the Act One duet from Tosca, and I listened to a bunch of singers do it, and well, at least four different, you know, legendary singers, and Callas was one of them. And I just remember preferring her version over the others, even though their instruments were more pristine, you know, their delivery Mm -hmm. was more perfect, um, so to speak, but I just could feel her emotions. um, And I didn't care that it wasn't as beautiful because I wanted that story and I wanted to connect with her as a, as a human, as a fellow human. And so that was just the only one that I wanted to listen to after that. But yeah, I think you're right though. I mean, it seems like that the acting was the most important element to her but I really believe that she, she did all that other work before. And then just, that was the sort of the crowning achievement of her um, interpretation was, was the acting element because she went so much farther and was able to do so much more than, than most of, you know, her Mm -hmm. colleagues. Agree, disagree. Yes. Mm -hmm. Agree. Agree. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like thinking about Maria Callas now. Wow. Yeah, exactly. I know we're all like, oh, I see so great. No. Right. Well, and ideally that's what we want. We want the character to shine through, but there's yeah. so much work that to be done 
before that can happen. Um, for sure, so for sure. And have the freedom and the instrument to be well, able to do the musical style. And interesting. I feel like I approach things sort of backwards then. Like when I start an aria or when I start a new aria with the new character, I, if I'm like, you know, taking my meds and really thinking, um, I... <laughs> Um, I, I will usually begin by backstory about the character, like wanting to know sort of what, uh, what that person is like, where they came from mm. and sort of, and if there are gaps in there, then filling in those gaps. And then the minute I hear the aria, I will feel like, oh, I get that now. I think this is probably the reason why, um, Tatiana resonated so much with me. Mm. one of the reasons mm -hmm. um was because you know it's such a long freaking scene right like she's sitting there with this letter and somewhat on paper when you read a translation of what she's saying or if you understand russian lucky you um <laughs> and uh because it's this beautiful poetry right but until mm -hmm. you yeah. until you understand sort of what a girl of that age of this experience uh, is going through sort of subconsciously and also just nuanced, you won't necessarily be able to deliver those phrases in a way that feels like it's building, like there's a true, like truly an arc to that scene. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance at the same time too. Um, yeah. in some ways, and you can speak to this better than I can, Amanda, because I, I don't have the experience with, with improv and I definitely have, you know, in the last few years started teaching belt and things like that, that were completely outside of my realm of study mm. until more recently <laughs> and, and understanding the role of intention in creating those mm -hmm. sounds. And so I, I, I love the idea of bridging that across. I'm just not quite there yet. But um, I think that it's not the most reliable. I feel like the, the, the instrument has to be trained in the, in the pitches of the aria um, before you can make it into, I don't know. I, I mean, I think about Senza Mama or I think about like a very emotional aria. Mm -hmm. And I, I think about just trying to embody the character and get through that. And it just, I don't think that would happen. I, I'm, I think there has to be some sort of technical solidarity first with the pitches and rhythms and then putting the character in and hopefully being able to have have that technique so ingrained that you can said you don't have to spend your brain power on it it's just in your for sure mind. i mean especially with something like senza mama like that's an aria that the first yeah. time i heard it live i like fully broke down like i wasn't even performing the role and i just like was weeping and in, in, in tears because I was yeah. just like, I can't imagine having to go through this, you know, yeah. like having to have that happen. Um, and like, especially with things that are so, so charged. Um, yeah, you definitely have to have everything lined up vocally before you can fully like, emote it all right because you want to get you want it to you do want it to be to sound correct <laughs> of course 
Um, and I think there's a lot that has to do with, you know, once you have all the notes learned, then combining that with, with your um, experience of the character. I think Rachel is saying that she kind of had the backwards thing where she like, yeah. likes to do the character before and then get into it. I, I feel like for me, um, like especially right now with the thing I'm currently working on, I tend to do it kind of in, at the same time, yeah. like together. Like I'll start learning the aria, I'll start, I'll start learning the notes, and then I'm trying to, you know, flesh out these characters. Um, it's like last year, I did um, a show that a, a friend of mine from Music Improv actually composed and directed, and it took the story of like Madame Butterfly and put it in the um, in the South in Mississippi. Um, during Jim Crow, during um, kind of like post, you know, post-slavery and Butterfly was this, um, you know, maybe, maybe she was mixed race woman who, you know, she meets this man who basically exactly the same as, as Madam Butterfly. Um, she ends up having to, you know, take her life at the end. And I was just like, okay, I already know the story of Butterfly, but this is a totally different Butterfly. This is a Butterfly who's, you know, um, the character I was playing is Native American. She's also Black. She's also, you know, living in Mississippi, but owns land in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm. So like unheard of things. Um, you know, is like a fixture of her community. Um, you know, uh, I guess I don't know enough about uh, Puccini's show to know if, if she was, I guess, I guess a fixture in the same way. But, um, you know, she's an entrepreneur. She is uh, working hard to, you know, make her town better. And, um, and it was just really interesting because through that show, I started doing some more research into my own family and then found out that my family was from about an hour north of where we had set this <laughs> opera, you know? So like at the same amount, at the same time when our, our fictional story was taking place, like my, you know, great, great, great grandparents were, you know, trying to navigate life in Mississippi in the 1900s, early 1900s. What so, made you sort of search for that? Was there something in the process of you learning that role, being there? Was there something about it that, that pulled you to, to sort of search out your history? Yeah, actually, um, since the show was taking place in, in Mississippi, um, in Pascagoula specifically, the show is called Pascagoula, it's wonderful. Um, she, so I, I was like, oh, I feel like I think somebody you know, an aunt or someone at some point told me that our family had been in Mississippi for a little while. Like, and at that point, I didn't know a ton of my family history um, pre, or I guess from um, around the Mississippi time. So um, then I remembered that my, um, my partner's dad had actually sent me the census information or like scanned PDFs of the census from 1900, 1910, and 1920, um, and through to the 60s, 
And so I was like, oh, let me go figure out where in Mississippi my family's from. Because wouldn't that be cool? You know, or just like a way to connect more to the character. And then realizing that my, the town that my family was from in Mississippi was on the same river that is the, the big function, the big, like, another character almost in the in the show that my friend Taylor wrote it was just like really kind of eerie kind of interesting you know just like it really gave me a much deeper connection to the character because I could almost imagine that it was an ancestor of mine yeah you know that's beautiful I I I sense a theme here which is connection and Mm -hmm. uh yeah and sort of opening yourself up to yeah, thinking outside of the box and 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 then more thoughts and ideas come your way and you're able to connect them somehow, right? And yeah, make more sense of things. That's really beautiful. That I mean, that is meaning right there. All of those connections, connecting these dots. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we miss out on when we yeah, when we are perfectionist or when we're trying to imitate mm-hmm. someone else or so, ooh, I love that. I love that other side of the coin that's, yeah, that you've done so much work exploring. I, I just want to promote this. Like, I want to find a way to make this a part, like you're saying, like a part of, Rachel, what you're saying about a part of a university program or. I'm serious. Like, you should, like, you could start it off by doing workshops. Mm-hmm. Where you, you pitch to, you know, arts admins in different places and just pitch, you know, hey, I want to come and do a three-day workshop where I work with your students in this way, this way, and this way, and then give them these, this tool set and then maybe expand it and travel around and teach it to, to these kids and then they start talking about it and then they tell their friends. And then I think it would be really wise. Um, I think it would be a really great thing for people to start taking part in just because you know, it, it is sorely lacking and it's one of the things that will keep opera alive. Oh, for sure. For sure. That is definitely um, kind of like our mission as Forte Chicago is to, you know, make opera relevant. Not that it's not relevant at all, but just to make it so that, you know, yeah, yeah. definitely to, to make, to get that relationship to it. But, you know, for us, comes easily and where we totally love the stories we love the costumes but it's not the same for everyone um I kind of compare it a little bit to um I don't know if you guys saw the the most recent uh the Watchmen on HBO or um or uh oh no why can't I think of the Lovecraft Country um the way that those shows combine kind of like you know fantasy with science fiction with drama and history um I think that that's like those are you know if I think of like what are my favorite shows right now it's those two um and really like that's what I want to see on opera stages I want to see things that go that deep I want to see shows that are about the challenges that we're facing socially because, you know, operas were always written as a reflection of politics, culture, whatever was going on at the time and a critique of that in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And 
I, and I know there's still new work that's always being made that is that, but I feel like. But anytime, anytime it's something in the moment of the moment, mm -hmm. I, I think it lacks, it very often will lack staying power. And so mm -hmm. when you can take something that has stayed, I mean, there's a reason. And when you can find a way to mold it into a narrative that will fit for right now or right here, or you, you know what I mean? Like the mm -hmm. fact that you were able to do butterfly and set it in the South, like is fascinating. And mm -hmm. I think it's something, and the fact that there was an element of that that was so personal for you, like, and those are stories that need to be told. You know, like the reason that Puccini wrote this at the time that he wrote it was because it was a story that needed to be told. Right. Um, and it has staying power, you know, for multiple reasons. It, it, it sort of, it ticks a lot of boxes. I mean, it's Puccini, <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think, yeah, I, I don't know if that if that makes any sense, but that, that no, that yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm actually, um, I'm about to start working on a piece. It's currently being composed um, for Thompson Street Opera um, here in Chicago. It's one of our many wonderful um, little storefront companies, um, and it's the the story is going to be the story of Mammy Till, who was Emmett Till's mother, who you know after her son was lynched, she went on to become a huge, huge figure in the civil rights movement. And so this is actually one of the things where I'm, I'm approaching it more like you, Rachel, where I actually don't have the music yet. So I'm reading as much as I can about this woman because she's a you know, historical figure. So, and she did so many speeches and was a really important, important figure in create in, in getting to the civil rights act you know yeah. um and right now i mean literally just yesterday another black man was murdered by the police um in this country it's something that happens every day and i've always thought that we needed more opera about <laughs> this subject yeah um and more I'm art in general about it, right? more art in general about it, of course. Um, and I think like for me as, as a classical singer, I, I, as an opera singer, I want it to be in my art form somehow, you know, there's, there's been great movies, great books written, you know, um, the hate you give is, is the main book that has popped into my mind right now, but it's just like this, these are things that are currently happening that we need to make art about. And I'm just really glad that I get to be a part, that I'm here in this town and get to be a part of this company that is making sure to tell these stories. Um, in the spring, actually right before lockdown happened, I was um, supposed to do a production with the same company, with Thompson Street, um, where I was singing the role of Sojourner Truth and it was all text that was taken from her speeches um, and put into this like amazing fusion of jazz and opera and spiritual. And mm, I was nice. 
so bummed that I didn't get to actually perform that. It was um, the it was the end of March was the performance date. So that sounds incredible. But you know what I'm yeah. so excited about, you guys? I'm just going to throw mm -hmm. this out there right now. Yeah, they're in a very difficult time mm -hmm. because everything, to some extent, is on pause. And I think right. what it can give us is time to reflect, to know, and have a little bit more, maybe potentially empathy for those who, who haven't had the ability to create their own projects, give them a little more space to do that, one. But two, mm -hmm. to know that when, when this thing gets you know, under control, and it will, mm -hmm. um, the amount of desire for live theater Oh, and for connection so with other people outside of a screen is going to skyrocket. And it's going to be such a needed boost mm -hmm. in all areas of art. And to create something that, you know, is both giving of information, but also I, I would hope, you know, for me, it's important for me to like say, you know, these things are hard and important mm -hmm. and here's the beauty. Right. You know, and... Um, and I'm excited to see what, what is the outgrowth and, and how, how much and where and, and that mm -hmm. comes from this whole process. Me I'm too. so excited. And, yeah. I would say that, um, we should definitely, um, a little bit down the road have Amanda on again to be our guest so that we can discuss what's happened post-pandemic. Yes. Post-pandemic. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah. how things have evolved in our own lives as well you know because this is I mean this is something I really want to try to make happen this whole you know what you do with Forte Chicago like I would oh to. I, I want to bring Forte to the world and yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping maybe a few people will hear this and then maybe hit me up and we can make it happen somehow yeah. um but yeah, yeah we um well I'd love to chat with you more about you know you should you needed to like develop a business plan and anyway we don't have to put this yeah in, oh for but, sure like, <laughs> you know, we um we yeah. we did some workshops um over the last few summers actually uh, here in chicago and um we found some amazing new members for the group through those workshops um we met a lot of really awesome awesome singers who i and even the the people who did not like join our group like it's been amazing to see them how they've just like grown and are so amazing in their in their aria and and um recital performances watching them sing hey man um, you've got opera improv <laughs> something that's already written and you don't have to be like uh you know what i mean like it's so great it's so great you're like this pause yeah this is written in it's so much easier <laughs> like <laughs> once you free yourself yes, yes yes i mean we've done improvised operas about a pigeon making friends with a dog and about <laughs> turning into slugs and being witches and like anything under the sun that you could imagine yes. and it's all just been amazing Hugely wow. Thank you. Thank you for talking with us, Amanda. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, and I mean it. We, we really need to do this again because yes. we could talk for so much longer. There are so many topics that we would still <laughs> we love to address. We didn't even get to. Yep. <laughs> yep. 